Genesis chapter 6 and Genesis 7 and 1 Peter 3. As you're turning there, let me, let me focus you on next week for a minute. Next week, we're going to begin a series on fear. And, and I just want to encourage you, uh, four weeks in a row, we'll share on fear. And I just want to encourage you to be here as I continue to study the subject. Never, never really taught on it before, but as I continue to dig deeper into it, I begin to understand that the, the sheer foundation and root of most of what drifts us off course in our Christian life has to do with fear. And, and as, I, as I begin to understand it deeper, I'm seeing that it is really the backstory to so many of the issues in our life. So I just want to encourage you. I, I really believe it's going to be a, a series and a season where, where you are equipped to deal with fear. And, and we will see people set free from it. So I just want to encourage you to, to uh, make a special effort in those weeks to be with us. For today, we're ending our series on our town. We've talked about uh, the, the faces and the places and the spaces and other things that rhyme that have to do in Shelby County. And, and what is God's mission in Shelby County? What is God working on here? What is, what is God doing? I said to you last week, you know, the, the, the whole deal with the return of Christ is we know he's coming. We don't know when. And so, so what do you do? I think so many times we've misapplied that. But I said it like this last week, and, and I want to build on it this week. Live like he's coming tomorrow, plan like he's not. Because the harvest is about sowing and reaping. And so if you only live like Jesus is coming today, all you're going to do is reap. But if all you do is keep reaping a harvest, then you'll eventually run out of harvest. So you have to, you have to, you have to live like he's coming. You have to live in the urgency and the faith and the expectation that he's coming tonight. But you have to sow into the harvest field and plan that he's not. Martin Luther, 400 years ago, as I read the quote to you last week, thought the world was so evil and so undone that Christ had to come soon. And, and 400 years later, we don't have the return of Christ yet. But we still do have a harvest and we still have a harvest field and we have people to continue to reach. Genesis chapter six, verse 11. I want to pick up here with the story of Noah and just give you a give you a backdrop for the message today. Chapter six, verse 11 through through 14. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. Now turn over to chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 11 through 16. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the seventh day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heavens were opened. And rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that very day, Noah and his son, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, 
together with his wife and the wives of the three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kind, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. Now look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter three eighteen through 20. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Who disobeyed, now look for the story of Noah. Who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. This is not saying that Jesus went into hell and preached after the resurrection. This is saying that the Spirit of Christ was preaching through Noah to the souls who are now suffering in eternal punishment. Now, when I read the Bible, I like to try to read between the lines. I, I like to try to understand that the people who God interacted with in these stories were like you and you and me. They were real people and they were human. And, and so I like to try to, so many times we hit the facts of the story and, and I think we, we don't, these people look like stone statues to us that just did God's will and had no humanity or emotion about them. But as I look at these stories, I, a lot of, a lot of questions come to my mind. I think, you know, Noah must've been a wealthy guy because God asked him to build the largest boat the world had ever known. Where, where would he, where would he, how could he take off work and do that? Where would he get the money to do that? And as I thought that through, I thought, you know, if Noah had the faith to believe that the entire earth was going to be destroyed and that God had called him to build a boat, maybe he just borrowed the money. Maybe he said, MasterCard. How much interest? 30%? Great. Charge it. Maybe it didn't matter. I think it's more likely that Noah's resources were put on the line. I, I think that Noah had been so successful in his business that he had the funds and the resources to make this massive ship. Now, it didn't happen overnight. I mean, we, God told Noah to build a boat. He built a boat and the world flooded. Well, that feels like two days. But, if, but it didn't happen in two days. No, Noah not only invested financially, he invested his time, he invested personally, he invested his reputation. Can you imagine his friends that saw this and would have to come to him and talk got around town? And can you imagine people came to Noah? Listen, I, I, you, how long have we known each other? You know I love you. My only concern is for you. But Noah, people are talking. I mean, I mean, I mean this, are you, have you lost your mind? This huge ship in the middle of the desert, a thousand miles from the closest body of water? How are you going to float it there? Noah, 
I love you. I, we've been friends a long time. Please don't do this. And, and, and people, people begin to think as they talk around town, you're psychotic. God, God told you? Oh, we've heard that before. Why are you building this boat? God told Oh, God told you to build a boat. God called you. God revealed this to you. Noah, if God was going to flood the whole world, why didn't he tell anybody but you? Why didn't he tell it? Why don't any of us know? Are you the only one that hears from God? I mean, I mean, if God's going to destroy the whole world, why isn't it on the news? Are you the only one that God can talk to? And those were just his friends. Think about the people who didn't like him anyway. I mean, this only confirmed their suspicion. They were hanging out outside the ark, walking by a crazy old man. This guy's lost his mind. And I wonder what conversations at home were like. You know, the Bible says God told Noah to build the ark. It didn't say anything about Miss Noah. What did he tell her? You know, she's thinking, Noah, honey, you know, the, the ladies group is starting to like not invite me. Run into people at the grocery store and they won't even make eye contact with you anymore. Honey, are you sure? Are you sure God told you to do this? What about his sons? Man, our inheritance is being thrown into this stupid old boat that'll never float anyway. They may think, you know, I mean, maybe dad's right. But what if he's wrong? We'll lose everything. I mean, the only thing we can do is... You know, make a hotel out of it and strap a gift shop around the front. We'll sell little miniature giant boats. Maybe, how else are we going to go on if this doesn't work? We have no idea, year in and year out, that it had to have taken to build this boat the agony that Noah must have gone through. God says to Noah, one time, I've called you, build the largest boat the world's ever known, and I'll bring the rain. And that's it. Think what Noah's doing. He's building a huge boat, bringing animals and food and supplies from all over the... He must have felt like some people felt when they were stocking up for Y2K. Now, now that $10,000 generator outside your house, what you going to do? If the world doesn't crash. What are you going to do with all those can of pork and beans? Batteries. He, he must have. <laughs> he had to feel that. Noah's invested his time and money. And strained his relationships and his reputation. He's invested all of it. But you know. In a way the call of God on our life. Is not any different today than it was for Noah. You spend your whole life building your career, building, building a family, building a reputation, building a financial future. And then God speaks to you one day and says, lay it all on the line. Invest it because I'm going to tell you once, go into all the world and make disciples. Risk it. Risk what God's given you. Now, Jesus, first Peter says spoke through Noah. The Spirit of Jesus was actually speaking through Noah. <laughs> how, how must that have looked? I mean, you, I mean, you can imagine the tour buses would just pull up. Greyhound, they'd be chartered. They'd pull up right in front of the ark. 
Can you, can you imagine how this must have played out? Here on the right, we have a local psychopath who's been building this boat for 15 years. He said that water's going to actually fall out of the sky. Bunch of people drop out. Bus came from Florida. Senior citizens with black socks pulled up to their kneecaps, white shoes on, Bermuda shorts, wraparound glasses. Pull out one lady with a walker with tennis balls on the back and a horn. They jump out. Look at it, strap a camera around Noah's neck and say, Noah, can you take a picture of us? I saw the ark, one with a t-shirt, I saw the ark. On the back it says, this boat won't float. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine the things that Noah must have went through? But the Bible says, during all of that, now listen, during all of that, Jesus spoke through Noah. During all the, all the doubt, all the craziness, all the stuff, we don't have a record of what he said. We don't know. What we do know is that Christ spoke through Noah, and we do know that that boat was big enough for more than just eight people and the animals. It wasn't God's will to only have eight people on the boat. So Christ was preaching through Noah, the flood's coming. Jesus was speaking through Noah, even at that time the Spirit of Christ was ministering through Noah, the flood's coming. There was more than enough room on that boat for more than eight people. But year after year, year after year, Jesus kept speaking through Noah. And one day, one day, the Spirit of God says, that's it. Put the hammer down, the boat's done, and that's it. The years of building are over, the the years of your reputation being risked are over, the, the years of the frustration are over, the years of making it all work out, the years of sitting on that boat in the hot sun are over. It's over. Take your family, take the supplies, put them on the boat, and the moment came where Noah had to look at his children and say, This is it. This is the end. And the Bible says that Noah and his family went onto the boat and God closed the door. We live in a day with such politically correct tolerance and blind permissiveness that no one can actually believe that the day will come when the door will close. But the day will come, and the door will close. And when the door closes, when God closes the door, nobody can open it. And and when the door closes, in is in and out is out. There's no second chance. There's no other opportunity. We've learned so much about the grace of God that we don't know very much about the judgment of God. But without the flood, you don't need a boat. Without God's judgment, God's grace doesn't mean anything. Without the flood, without the, flood the boat's just a tourist trap out in the desert that doesn't mean anything. The cross of Calvary itself is, is a, not just a place of unbelievable grace. It's also a place of horrifying judgment. It's where Christ took on the judgment of the whole world. And if there was no judgment, we wouldn't need grace. 
Can you imagine what it must have been like as the rain started to fall and the water came up underneath that massive ship and began to lift it off the ground? And as people ran to higher and higher ground to hide and try to get away, and as the boat started to float away and Noah could hear the screams outside, Noah, Noah, please let us in. We were wrong. We were wrong. We're sorry. We're sorry. It's our fault. I'm sorry for everything I ever said about you. I'm sorry for making fun of you. I'm sorry. Please let us in. But Noah couldn't open the door because God shut it. And when God shuts the door, nobody can open. Nobody can open. Paul said in Corinthians, Corinthians, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade them. Now, I think there's something that we've often gotten confused about in this message. I think we confuse the motivation with the message. The fact that the flood's coming doesn't motivate people who walk by the ark and make fun of it. It doesn't motivate them. They don't believe in the flood. (laughs) They don't believe in the flood. The flood's not threatening to lost people. They don't believe one's coming. And here's the only problem. The fact that they don't believe one's coming doesn't change the fact that it is. The flood is a motivating factor to us But it won't motivate. You can't approach someone who doesn't know Christ on the basis of judgments come and escape. I mean, I don't know if you noticed the T-shirts aren't working. Turn or burn. They're not turning. Because they say, isn't that a stupid shirt? Christians are so condemning. Christians are so judgmental. See, don't confuse... Your motivation with the message that you have to share. The flood motivates us, but it won't motivate people. When you encounter people who don't believe in the flood, you've got to approach them with God's promise for abundant life now. God loves you. God loves you. He loves your spouse. He loves your children. Jesus, when he came to earth, he died and he said, I came that you might have abundant life. He wants to give you abundant life. He wants to give you eternal life. As they receive that life, they escape the flood. But the flood's not going to motivate them. The greatest tool that you and I have to minister to someone is our own life. It's our own life. This morning, I've kind of told you the story of Noah and if you're, if you're taking notes, I basically said three things. I basically said, God told Noah one time to build a boat. One time. I basically said, God has said to us once, go into all the world and make disciples. The second thing is, the boat was big enough for more than eight people. God has made it clear in his word, it is not his will that anybody should perish, but everybody should have eternal life. Now, here's the third one and the most complicated one. But it's one that we've got to understand as we go and move into the harvest. Noah had to balance passion with patience. Look, God tells you to go do something. I'm not good at building stuff. 
So I like to build stuff like in one shot. You know, I, I, like, to, I like to go get the equipment and the lumber and the whatever, and I like to start, and then I don't want to quit until I'm done. How many of you know you can't build anything very important that way? Or useful? You can't build the largest ship the world has ever known today. You have to build it, and 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 you go out and you make sure it's right, because like when the whole earth floods, it's got to float. Can't be having leaks on the ark. So you've got to make sure it's built right. You've got to make sure it's built over time. It took years to build the ark. The flood's coming, but, but I don't have to get... But I've got to get this boat right. And, I, and I'm, I'm, wondering, I'm wondering in the way sometimes that we reach out to people, sometimes we, we see that thing as a crisis, one-time, one-shot event, and we don't understand that God's building a boat. And we say, Lord, use me inside relationships across time to, to, to sow into a harvest field. And from that harvest field, there will come a harvest. But, but the boat takes time to build. So you have the passion and the intensity of Jesus saying, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world and make disciples. But as you make disciples, somewhere on the outside, you've got to have patience and build relationships so that the seed may take root. Passion and patience. Intensity, but intentionality. There has to be the, the power of the Holy Spirit at work. But the patience that you're dealing with people who may not have the, the backdrop to understand Christian faith. And so, and so you have to move with the Holy Spirit. You have to move with the relationship. Jesus is coming. So we have to get these relationships right. The next harvest field in America will be built over time. The question we have to stay with is, do we have the attention span to stay on mission? When the event's over, when the thing's over, can we across time let the Holy Spirit equip us to stay on the, the mission of reaching our town? When, the, when, when this stuff's all taken and packed up next week and that's all over and the Our Town series is gone and nobody can remember the name of it, do we have the attention span to focus the passion and patience? To let those things come again and again and again. I think it's time for us to take the gospel to the streets. We have to take it back into the community. The door's still open, but the day's coming when God will close it. And once it's shut... You and I can't open it again. It's shut. And so all, all, the, all, the, all the sowing, all the harvesting, all the prayer, all the sharing, all the faith, all the speaking, all the relationship, all of that that we're going to do has to be done before that. Because once the door shuts, no more. That motivates us. It, 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 it motivates us. So tonight, our campus will be closed in honor of the mission that God is on in Shelby County. 
we, we, have, we have encouraged you to move out and take the first step in, in relationship to people who you know who don't know God. And, and, and to begin to share. I want to encourage you tonight as you move into these block party times. Just invest in the relationship. I'm going to ask our um, worship team to come. And would you just stand with me? I want to make this real uh, short. If, if, if tonight you're hosting a block party or you're helping uh, to host one, maybe it's not at your house, but you're, you've committed in with somebody, I want to ask you, would you just come? I want to pray with you this morning. Would you come and stand here? Look, this, this isn't about who's doing it and who's not doing it. It's not about that. This church has never been a place of condemnation, and we're not going to start now. But would you just come? just want to pray with you this morning. And I want to give you a specific word of encouragement. Several months ago, I, I had the opportunity to have lunch with a man in our community. He doesn't go to our church. Just one-on-one. And um, his life hit a, hit a really difficult point. And um, he, he was a Christian. I'm not trying to say it was evangelism. He was a, a Christian. A mature, a mature, but his life had a bad point in in a brokenness. His own, his own fault. And I looked up one Sunday morning, he was standing right here in front of this chair. I said, hey, how you doing, man? And I had heard some about what had gone on in his life. And he just came in and said, would you pray for me? So I just hugged him, started praying for him. And he just broke and cried. I'll tell you what he said to me. I never met him before. I hadn't talked to him after. I talked to him one time in my life at that lunch. And he looked at me and said, I felt like you and I had a good connection at lunch and I didn't know where else to go. So I just came today. I know it may feel soft just to bring people into your home and not to do a Bible study or not to do... But can I tell you, relationship builds trust and trust opens the door. And if you'll just talk to people. So tonight when this is over, if you know them a little better and they know you a little better, one, that's the step. That's the step. Don't try to do too much. Just, just be there. What you want to do is be authentic. You want to be real. You're not trying to hide that you're a Christian. You are who you are. And you, and you want to act in kindness. Kindness 
Our Johnny Brown say one time, kindness is the language that's spoken all over the world. You'll be kind in the name of Christ. Doors will open. We were in coffee talk this Wednesday, and I heard the story of a lady who, who Stacy and I sat with her and her husband and a few others, and she told about some of you, how you had influenced her life, and how when her life fell apart, she was away from God and out of church for a year and a half. But because of some of your love and contact for her, God did a work in her life. She came back. I'll share it another time. In August, she was miraculously, physically healed. And I don't understand how all this works, and I'm not saying it has to work this way, but somehow through those relationships, the doors open, and she wasn't healed at home. As she came back, she was healed. I don't, I don't know what that means. But I know, some, I know somehow the body of Jesus has something to do with it. you believe that? And, and by the way, she's hosting a block party tonight. That's something. Look. You're not involved. No condemnation. You're involved. Go enjoy. And as we go, this is a big old experiment. And I got to be honest with you, none of us know what we're doing. But we're trying. And how many you believe Jesus will honor that? You care about what Jesus cares about, and you go try, and God will honor that. So I want to pray for you, okay? Would you just stretch your hands?